Welcome to an American Conversation podcast, a podcast about a comedian, a feminist, and two Republicans meeting in different bars every week to discuss what the hell is happening in America today. Each week we deliver gripping news and information with the understanding that as Americans, we can agree to disagree and laugh while doing it. Revelation, Leland, Rose, David, and Jeff are not experts, although Rose thinks she is. Listen in every week. Be that fly on the wall. And Rose, and we have a special guest today that we got from the pound. One of us adopted her and kept her, so we are <laughs> failed adoption, failed po- foster parent, I guess is what we call it. Hi, Madeline. How are you? <laughs> Hi, Fine. Madeline. How are you? I'm great. Thanks very much. All right. We've already gotten a little tiff about ASPCA and SPCA and all these uh, Yeah, I want to know what the meaning is because I thought right, it was I was the very ASPCA, confused. so I was so confused. Wrong. Yes. So basically, we're SPCA LA, and every single SPCA in the country is legally separate. The ASPCA is the New York SPCA. They are not a national umbrella organization, and none of us are chapters. And why do they have the A in front of their name? Why do people think they're national? Well, Apple, because they're from the Apple well, city. So, yeah, some of it are the uh, ads. A for advertising um, gets people thinking because they don't disclaim at the bottom that they're not affiliated and they don't you know, distribute funds by zip code. The other is in 1866, the ASPCA, and the A stands for American, was the first SPCA formed in the United States, modeled on the RSPCA, the Royal SPCA, in the United Kingdom. And then after that, different states started to form nonprofit laws that allowed the formation of a corporation called SPCA, and ours was formed in 1877. We're one of the oldest in the country, and we also Uh, opened our doors not only as an SPCA for the Society for the Prevention of Cruelty to Children, we opened to animals. We opened (laughs) as as an SPCC, which is a Society for the Prevention of Cruelty to Children, because we preceded the uh, social services and the child labor laws. So when we opened, women, children, and animals were all legally property. Oh, my goodness. Yeah, I remember that. Mm Mm-hmm. I, I, I wrote a paper about that girl in New York that yes. was beaten, and it was based Mary on Ellen. the... Mary Ellen. Exactly. Right. So the case exactly. again, the first, the first child abuse case that was prosecuted under the Animal Protection Statute in New York. What was, year was that? Well, the ASPCA formed in, in 1866, it, so it was... So it was the 1900s. So it was Jesus. right around there. She yeah. befriended a, a spider. She was a foster child who befriended a spider, and you know she had horrendous foster parents and so once they realized that the spider was making her happy um, the mother stabbed her with scissors and so the the outcry was at the time the ASPCA had just formed so there was a protection for animals and people were saying how can this be right so they actually like um, made a habeas corpus move to remove the child from the foster family under the animal protection statute because as I said we formed 10 years later we still preceded 
um, child labor laws or child protection laws. Wow. That's why we also had the authority to intervene on behalf of children and women. Which, you know, we know now we have a domestic violence program. I mean, it's come full circle, um, but some of the roots are still there and are still, you know, need help. It's interesting. Well, that's right. because we abuse animals, women, and children. Exactly. Yep. Exactly, so, yeah. but we are the SPCA LA, and, and there's an SPCA in Pasadena, there's an SPCA in San Francisco, none of us are connected to each other, and none of us in the country are connected to the ASPCA. Wow. Well, we should all get together and party. Yeah, we should donate <laughs> local. I mean, yeah. you, need, you want to donate locally, or you could donate to both, but your funds, if you donate there, are going to New York, and if you donate to your local SPCA, wherever you're listening in the country, it's going to help the animals in your community. Right there. Okay. So tell us what you do. What, what, what do does do? the I SPCA do? SPCA do? <laughs> <laughs> so you're like us. We do nothing either. Yeah, I do nothing. Yeah. No. Um, I just have great staff that does, that, and they do everything. Oh, good so, for you. We have multiple locations. You know, we have shelters. We do everything that you would think an SPCA would do, you know, adoptions, you know, pet-assisted therapy, happy stuff. But because my background is a prosecutor from the Bronx. Um, I'm from New York. I see all the stuff yeah. in here. But for those of you who can't see, I can see she's from what New York. What part of the Bronx are you from? So I was born in the Bronx, but um, then, you know, pretty much went to school in Manhattan and college in Manhattan. And Where'd you go to in school Manhattan. in Manhattan? There, there was a private school called Ramaz uh-huh. on 85th and Lex. So I did that from, like, first grade on. And my parents, in the meantime, left the Bronx and moved to Yonkers. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Oh, that's so, funny. Okay. So I, so when I finally, you know, got out of law school, my first job was to be an assistant DA in the Bronx. And um, so with all that baggage I have, always fighting crime, always looking at horrible things, I don't have a pleasant thought in my head. Neither do I. Uh, <laughs> when I got into animal welfare, I was like, A, there's got to be a connection. And B, um, so if there is a connection, what are we going to do about it? So our so SPCALA is is pretty nationally known for having the only court diversion program for kids who could get sentenced uh, sentenced into our program if they've been convicted of animal cruelty or bullying or stuff. In '95, before it became fashionable, we started the first domestic violence program because uh, you have to remove all the barriers to getting a a victim out of the house, and sometimes one of those barriers is a pet, exactly. and they won't leave um, if they have to leave a pet behind, exactly. particularly if they're children. And then, you know, the, and so in '95, we also started the first at-risk program for at-risk community survivors. Again, around seventh-grade age kids, trying to intervene at the last possible time before they become sort of society's throwaways to reinsert empathy back in so that they could, you know, take that fork in the road and go, you know, empathetic, productive citizen versus, you know, violence. Because we know there's a correlation between lack of empathy and violence. Absolutely. And we know the FBI has known for years that sometimes looking at animal cruelty can tell you something. Yeah. Um, either they're experiencing something, sometimes it can be a predictor, sometimes it's in a cluster with other stuff, but it's not normal behavior. Children aren't born being cruel to animals. So our, our so SPCA LA has been at the forefront 
of those types of programs, which is, you know, when I first started back in 1877, <laughs> I, had to, I had to convince people. She that, looks amazing, by the way, people. So <laughs> I had to convince people that it was a good thing to not want to abuse animals. But now people have sort of figured that out. So my next question was, so now what are we going to do? To, to you know deal with the problem. So most of our programs are either the happy programs that enrich the human animal bond or the intervention programs where me talking is not going to solve anything. So we have officers that go out and enforce animal welfare laws. They're sworn peace officers, they're armed, they issue search warrants. We and we have happy programs, you know. Uh, in the in the shelters, so we're either educating or intervening. Can I tell you a story? Yes. It's kind of horrible. Oh. I oh, was well, in the to my world. sixth grade, and I went to a school called St. Anthony's on um, McDougal Street mm -hmm. in Houston. Mm -hmm. Down there was a mm -hmm. Catholic school, and I I was going to school, and there was a bird that's wing was hurt so i took the bird and i put it in my backpack and during the classroom the bird started chirping chirp 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 so the teacher who was not very nice um said you know rose what is that blah, blah, blah. so they called the um nun who was the disciplinary nun i don't i don't the remember nun with her the name ruler. the nun with the ruler <laughs> and she yelled at me, humiliated me in front of the whole class for helping a bird whose wing was, and I did something horrible. I was so angry that it happened that once I left, I, I took it out and I stomped on the bird. <gasps> wow, I did. Isn't Rose, that horrible? admitting to I, that. I, I know. that bothers you. To this day. To this day. To this day, it's yeah. like trauma because, and when I did it and the release of rage was out, I was horrified, right. and I started hysterically crying, and then I cried for myself because I knew I would get beaten right. by my mother for getting kicked out of school, right. for helping a bird with a broken wing. With a broken wing, but then stomping on the bird, I'm sure you thought was probably gonna could get you in trouble too. I mean, I, I don't no, know if you thought it that way. No, it didn't, it didn't because I, I grew up in, in a neighborhood that was tough, and everybody was always getting beaten. I was worried about getting beaten because I was thrown out of Yelled school, at. but I had a nightmare for what I did sure. to the bird, and I cried and I was upset, but it scared me that I did that. Yes. My mother, could; they couldn't care less. Yeah. Nobody cared because doing the right thing got me in trouble. Right. So it, it just goes yeah, to so show. So there's the teachable moment. Exactly. You're right? How, how horrible. For a child. For a child, that's horrible, which is why I, I always get completely insane when something happens in a school. Because my feeling is, look, you know, I mean, the best way that we can deal with animal cruelty is to mentor positive behavior. Exactly. And like my kids won't won't listen to me, but if they see you being kind to an animal, that's going to matter. So when a teacher who's in that kind of a position does something awful to an animal or tolerates animal cruelty in the classroom, that's usually when, you know, my hair's on fire and I start carrying on in the, in the media, you know, among other times. but start carrying on and yelling and screaming because who's supposed to set the example exactly if, if the teacher is doing something horrendous yeah and these this was a nun yeah well i'll tell you i'll tell you uh, well we can talk about religion and animal cruelty and yeah. the dominion 
parts, you know, and how, but, you know, we, we don't need to get that dark. Um, oh, we can. Today. I like <laughs> We're pretty but dark. I will, t- I will tell you, you know, so growing up um, with a last name of B and a name that nobody ever had, you know, back when I was a kid, nobody had the name Madeline. Um, I was always the first in everything. So when I got to law school, um, being a B meant it was the 8.30, you know, sec- which is really contrary to everything I stand for. Getting anywhere by- at that early in the morning is really terrible. Yeah, so tough. now I'm in law school. I'm not involved. I mean, I always liked pets, had pets, you know, would never hurt an animal. I'm in law school. And in front of me is a gentleman with a guide dog. So, so of course, I'm telling you it's 8.30 in the morning. I'm hungry. I'm tired. I'm really angry. It's the first day of law school. Right, if you're thinking the paper chase, it's contracts, right? And every time my stomach growled, and it does growl very loudly, he smacked the dog. Oh! Oh. And so it happened twice, and then I realized the connection. So, and this is law school, you know, so I tap him on the shoulder and I go, excuse me, but uh, the dog didn't do anything. Um, That was my stomach stopped hitting the dog. So he turns around and he tells me to F off, you know, that it's his dog. And then, of course, now the, te- you know, the professor's talking. And so now I'm saying, don't you, you know, tell me that. And I'm telling you, if you hit that dog again, you know, You're there's going to be yeah, hell to pay. <laughs> so then the professor, like says, well, do, you know, what's wrong with you two? This is law school. You have to behave. And we get, I get yelled at for talking in class you know, in law school, and so does he. And, and we had to stay after class. Oh, and then my goodness. after class, I said, this was the problem. And she, you know, she looked at him and she said, I saw you hitting the dog, you know. And then luckily, unlike your story, the, the contracts professor took my side. Good, good. And, I mean, that gentleman, his problem wasn't, you know, being vision challenged. He was obviously, you know, just a horrible human being. But he eventually, like, you know, didn't make the... But for the but that was you know I mean standing up and getting trouble in class exactly when you were in Catholic school as a little kid and here I am thinking I'm beyond getting yelled at at school right and (laughs) thrown out. Did you report him? Well, um, at the time, I mean, I had no idea who to report, but he left school. You know, Um, I you know there are times when um, people will be abusive to their assistance dogs or service dogs um, and usually the problem you know can either be that they're not real assistance or service dogs so they're not really behaving in the way they should which is frustrating to the person or there's a different problem like there's a problem that is not the disability that causes the rage it could be bipolar I mean it could be schizophrenia I mean there could be another problem that would lead a person to hurt their service dog but this was so annoying because I told him that it was my stomach. Well, I find that people that are mentally ill generally don't. So these are normal people that are doing mm-hmm. this, that abuse animals. Yes, well. I'm a social worker, so I, it, mentally ill people usually do not commit, you know, like violent crimes. Right. All and the mentally ill people that I know, which is a lot, 
overly love their animal. Exactly. That, I mean, my animal is number don't. one, and I am mentally ill. Yeah, no, but I, I'm saying it's normal people that have rage issues mm-hmm. and right. project onto the animal, and that was my issue. I had rage right. issues, and, and I you just took it out on the bird. Which is why you know the FBI now accepts reports of animal cruelty cases because when you look at this behavior in a cluster, so like in your case. I mean, if you had a combination of other problems and that rage led you to do that, they might look at that as a cluster and see what was going on in your life that caused that level. Not in the 1970s, they no, would not. Now they are. Now they would, now yeah. They yeah. Back yeah. then, you were encouraged to beat your yeah. kids. Yeah, and exactly. Line them up and smack each one. Yeah. Well, it used to be, I remember a cop telling me at, at, at the scene of a dog fight, well, what's your problem? I mean, at least they're not on the street committing crime. There were some some kids that just did a terrible act of, of, of cruelty to swans. And um, the mother uh, said to me, what's your problem? You know, <gasps> at least he's not committing violence against people. And I said to her, I would rather have your basic armed robber come to my house for Thanksgiving than a kid who, for no reason, would twist the neck off a swan that's been sw- swimming in the in the pond, you know, for I don't know how many years in that community. Because <sighs> the mom was okay with that. The mom was okay with it. Boys will be boys, exactly, I've been yeah. told. You know, so there's been Which an evolution, yeah. right, through some of that. But still, you'll get in a lot of communities, what's the problem? Well, I don't know about that because we have a president who well, is... Yes, let's, yeah. <laughs> I, I, I'm president of I'm a charity. I'm not allowed to talk about that. Okay, so we won't bring that up. I would like to talk about uh, the difference between uh, adopting a dog from the pound or a rescue and buying a dog from a breeder. Right. So... There are different kinds of breeders. Um, you have, there are a group of ethical breeders that are working with specific breeds that worry about genetic diversity, that are you know, humane to the mother and the pups and provide veterinary care. But then we have puppy mills all over the world that are horribly abusive, that are trafficking you know, Frenchies from Ukraine that come through LAX. And those dogs are overbred, purely bred. They're not looking out for genetic diversity. And so what happens is you'll have a bunch of recessive genes come forward because of overbreeding and starvation and malnutrition of the mother. And then, you know, they're shipped. So very often the shipment arrives with dead puppies, with live puppies and the same thing. So if you're going to adopt from a breeder, which of course in my position I would say please don't, um, you should at least be patient and not need immediate gratification and wait for a proper breeder who is at least doing some DNA screening, is at least you know worried about the care and treatment of the pets, and will also spay neuter because a lot of responsible breeders don't want to adopt a dog or sell you a dog that you're going to to become a backyard breeder to, and the backyard breeder is just as bad. Now, adopting a pet in a shelter um, is, A, a really good deed, um, because those pets, there are too many of them, and they need homes, and they're wonderful, wonderful pets. They're very often, you know, um, you can find at least 25% of most dogs and shelters will be the breed that you're interested in with some exceptions like we've never seen a Portuguese water dog you, you know what I mean come come through the shelter do uh, uh, 
like German Shepherds that are sight dogs, do they come into the pound or do they go to a special? So a lot of those places select from the pound. And, and we'll try not to use the word pound ever again, but we'll, we'll try what to. You, what, what's the word? The I'm shelter. Sorry. Oh, the shelter. The shelter. Yeah. Why, does pound mean that that's where they're murdered? Or? Well, no, no. It's just that it's, it's, um, it's an old-fashioned word that connotes the old-fashioned dog, you know, dog catcher. And so this past legislative season, we finally got the words pound and pound master and all of those words taken out of the statute that was a zillion years old because you know words matter like if you start using certain words you can actually have an effect on people's thinking about a subject absolutely and so so shelter dogs are are you know are are wonderful dogs and my thing is look there are so many dogs across the country being euthanized simply because they can't wait long enough for a home that why are we creating a demand for more dogs are we still euthanizing here in los angeles of course you are Uh. i mean we are there's you know it doesn't matter like there's a lot of words out there that don't mean what people think they mean but clearly there's still animals being euthanized in, in los angeles and not every animal is safe to place so um is that a good or a bad thing what's your opinion on euthanizing i think that if the animal i think that if you make the decision on the best interests of the animal and then public shelters which i am not also have public safety issues so if you're making you know a decision on the best interests of the animal and the animal has you know there's a quality of life issue there's um un you know relenting suffering some some dogs will go crazy in the shelter. Some will grieve and get depressed. Some will deteriorate mentally and physically. If there's a dog that's suffering and you can't fix it and you don't have a way to fix it, then I think why are you going to just stick them in a cage and warehouse the dog so that they die slowly over a period of time? Mm-hmm. Also, there are some dogs who are very vicious and some dogs are born sociopaths, you know, so that their behavior is a problem. Now, you yeah, know. Yeah, they're called chihuahuas. <laughs> yes. Excuse me. I they're like the number one dog. <laughs> Wait a second. My dog is a chihuahua. I mean, he's a yeah. mix. He's but a sociopath. He is, I've met him. He is the most loving. He is. He I is. love him more than anything. He's very cute. And very he cute. was adopted. Right? Yeah, he was so, adopted from Lovejoy Foundation. Yes. So, so, you know, so the people who adopt from an ethical breeder who love their dogs and care for their dogs don't want to alienate them here. But I would say try to the best of your ability to take an existing dog who needs a home which will be a wonderful dog for you you know and that you will have unconditional love from that dog and you don't need a puppy necessarily right so you're doing a double good deed you're taking a you know an older dog or a dog that wouldn't be the first glance on Instagram you know or an Instagram worthy dog um, and so, so try. But you know, whatever you do, if you're caring for the dog and you're showing that behavior. But I think, I mean, personally, I think we have to cut down the demand for the puppy mills and all the importers every time. Right now, do you know where in California we're not today because we're freezing? But you know, it's a hot climate, and we're overrun with all kinds of huskies. Yeah. Oh, because Wolf of that TV show. Right. What was that TV show? Game of Thrones. Game of Thrones. And even the Game of Thrones popular. stars yeah. saying, yeah, stop it. They're not, you know, so they're being bred by opportunists. They're not being bred by experienced or ethical breeders. Um, 
the dogs are you know suffer from all kinds of problems because of all that cross you know the the genetics and the crossbreeding when it was dalmatians i had you know shelters buildings full of dalmatians and so and chihuahuas mm -hmm. right there's a glut we ship chihuahuas you know eastward because we're overrun with chihuahuas here, but in certain parts of the country, they only have big dogs or hunting dogs. People will line up around the block for a chihuahua or a little, you know, a little dog. Right. Well, I grew up in Washington, D.C., and I don't remember anybody having a little dog. Yeah, in Me New either. York, I never, yeah. saw, we never saw anyone. I mean, I knew, I had one friend whose uh, dad, who was like six foot something, had a chihuahua, and we thought that was hilarious. Yeah. Because yeah. he'd walk the dog, and you couldn't see the dog behind his shoe. <laughs> you know? My grandmother had a Doberman Pinscher that I yes. was afraid of. Big well, dog. And those dogs were popular. There was another show that, and then they be, started to breed crazy. Lassie, you know, started oh, to breed Lassie. crazy. Yeah. Um, and so that's the problem. Like, um, so, you know, I have one, I have two dogs. You know, one is, he's part, uh, you know, he's yellow. So he's part lab, he's part retriever, and he has a chow tongue. He's like the most oh. wonderful dog in the world. And then I... You know, we were talking about a foster failure. I we had a white Pomeranian who clearly was a, a puppy mill product or a poorly bred product, who was emaciated and sick in the shelter. So I took her home to foster, and you could go down the list of all the things that will go wrong in from a from a poor breeder. It, those things are all wrong with this Pomeranian. I mean, and she's adorable. Um, she's wonderful. It, the one thing she's not is OCD, which is real common in Pomeranians. And really? It starts, you know, s you know, spinning in circles and doing some strange things. Because people think of puppy mills, you know, uh, those kinds of breeds. Maybe this, the, the problems are physical. There's a lot of genetic and congenital mental problems that don't even present till the dog is like a year old. I can totally see that. My sister has an inbred, which I call an inbred, it might, might not be, but it's a, a lab, and we make fun of her because it's like a Down syndrome kid. Yeah. It really is. Yeah. It's, it's, it's really, you know, it, it's amazing. And now with the designer dog craze, um, you know, where every, everybody wants to breed a dog with a poodle, you know, and the Labradoodle being the first one, I call them the Oodle Dog. So that's why, you know, I wrote this book about the de the designer dog um, business. It's so not only do you have pu a puppy mill, let's say, for a lab, right? So you have horribly bred labs. Now you have a second puppy mill for poodles, and you have horribly bred poodles, and then you breed those two together to make a Labradoodle, and you have every single thing wrong coming forward in in the dog and of course you can't breed labradoodles consistently because you're mixing and matching and you have no control over so the guy who invented the labradoodle wished he never had he said it was a nightmare he said they're monsters isn't that what obama ended up uh, no, adopting no he, he, had, had, a he had a portuguese water dog because no. the oh. day so the day that he got the Portuguese water dog, I got calls. Did anyone have a Portuguese water dog? Because everyone wanted the same dog. I said, you know, that's the one I've never seen a Portuguese Why is water dog through the shelter. Because they're all in Portugal? I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, and one of the things I was speaking out about at the time is like, you know, 
now that people have heard of Portuguese water dogs. Which he got from a breeder. Right. Evil. And he had promised to adopt from a humane society. But he yes, blamed, he did. He blamed allergies. And you know there's no such thing as a hypoallergenic dog. This I did not know. Yeah, I, I've heard either. of people buying dogs that would, the hair grows. So, and so there they, are they people less natural. allergic to some hair mm -hmm. and some saliva. But there's nobody, there's no dog. And so that's how the Labradoodle doodle started so this this guy Wally Conran bred that he had a he was a he was a breeder and he also worked with guide dogs so he had a couple where one was allergic to dogs and one needed a dog to see so he figured well what what if I create something that puts the two together and so he he bred one litter and out of that litter, they all, you know, caused allergy, and the allergy person, except one, caused less. And then, and he sent saliva and hair samples. And I guarantee you that there is nobody listening to this podcast who wanted a hypoallergenic dog that got to test hair and saliva samples on the allergy sufferer before making a choice. I guarantee you nobody had that experience. So he did that, so there was only one dog that was a little less allergy provoking so then he did a second round and in that round he got like another one so they provided the couple with the dog that caused the least allergy reaction that was also capable of becoming a guide dog but there's no such thing as a hypoallergenic dog you heard that here first on American yes. conversation <laughs> don't go out and purchase that right. hypoallergenic Right. not real dog right allergies are personal so you might find you have less of a reaction to a wheaton terrier type hair and more of a reaction to a retriever you might find that you have a retriever that you don't respond to but you have a, a poodle that makes you crazy so allergies are personal so that makes sense yeah yeah, yeah. We, we actually had a chicken uh for about a year and a half and a year into it my daughter started getting hives all over her body and after many many doctors we decided it was the chicken mm -hmm. and he's now living up in palos verdes or she actually because mm -hmm. she made eggs and that's when we ended up getting the dog and she's okay oh. with the dog oh yeah yeah but I'd get rid of her before the dog. <laughs> <laughs> That's what my kids accuse me of. Oh, there's you no accusing. Us. It's 100% true. Yeah, you choose us over him any day. You're yeah. going to hate me. Did you tell her? Uh, of course I told her. Yeah, you go ahead I'm and getting, let everyone know. I'm getting, um, my daughter got a puppy Pomeranian mm -hmm. um, for Christmas. And I got myself um, a designer dog because I'm a horrible human being. Um, see, now we see the roots of that based on the first story. Yeah, that, <laughs> right. that bird, oh, man, okay. has this caused is, me a lot of this angst. This is all back to the bird. Right? Well, actually, I, I lost two cats. Mm -hmm. One was 21 and one was nine. It really messed me up. Yeah. I mean, we did an episode on that. I was hysterical. Sure. Didn't realize it was going to hit me that bad, especially the 21-year-old. Right. Um, so I think it was a response to that. I didn't want to get two more cats, so I, I'm like, let's get a dog. And I like the poodle, but I don't want to get a purebred. So I thought, and you've just educated me, I'll get a mix. So I'll get the Maltese poodle mix. And obviously, though, what do you think of, I don't know if I can say their name, but they claim, and they've gotten amazing reviews, that they check every single place personally to make sure it's not a puppy mill, to make sure that they keep in contact with um, 
the breeders who are supposed to be raising them in the home? So it's, it's possible. I mean, you know, there's no two, you know, mixes of Pomeranian and Poodle or, or, or something that are going to create a new breed, you know, because they can't be consistent, you know, because of all the genetic baggage. So that's why I said, if you are dealing, if you are dealing with someone who's concentrating on one particular breed, um, who like doesn't have any teacup dogs, for example, that they're pushing, that um, will tell you to wait until there's a proper litter because they're resting the mother or they're rotating the mothers, that they do some basic DNA testing and the animals are well-fed and under veterinary care, there's no guarantee of what you're actually going to get. I mean, there never is, but you have a much better chance than if either one of the two dogs, let alone both, that were bred to be a designer dog came from poor breeders. And they don't have to be puppy mills. They could be bad backyard breeders. They could be people who are capitalizing on the trend of designer dogs because that just, I mean, it just exploded after Natalie, can you explain what a, a designer dog is? So it, it used to be that, you know, the designer sort of fancy dogs were the purebred dogs that shelters would compete against. Now the designer dogs are, are like custom designed dogs. So you can mix a pug and a poodle, you'll get a puggle, you know, you can mix, you know, a cockapoo, you know, a, 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 you know, one of those Maltese and things with a cocker spaniel. spaniel. You, you can have um, a shepherd that's mixed with you know, a different kind of dog. I mean, so people just want to customize. And then what starts to happen is, so like if you like a dog with bulgy eyes, no, right? So I they don't. <laughs> so they start to take two dogs with bulgy eyes and mix them together. Then the, you know, then the eyes get bigger and bulgier until one of them falls out, you know? Do people really want the bulgy eyes? Yeah, they think they're hilarious. They're Ugh. Instagram worthy. So a designer dog right now is basically, you know, a, a mutt, which, if you want to see my hair spontaneously catch on fire, it's... <laughs> that would be fun. Yeah, people are paying $8,000 for a mutt, and the shelters, you know, are, are full. I have, n I mean, I have buildings full of, of mutts. And I've, you know, one time I went so crazy that we gave certificates of authenticity. We made up names. We made up breeds for the dogs. So congratulations, you got a toodle. And congratulations, <laughs> you have a chewerier, you know? And my staff was going crazy. And, you know, That's the media great. thought I had lost my mind. But I was trying to make a point, which is like, you know, just because somebody gets a bright idea to say I'm going to mix this with this and let's see what I get and then sells them because there's one on Instagram, um, that is not, you know, that is not a good thing. The movie, it came out within the last year, Lady and the Tramp used a dog from a shelter. Yes, well, a lot, yeah. of, a, well, a lot of the service dog, you know, the people scout the shelters. Um, for dogs, a lot of the rescue dogs, you know, the, the, the dope dogs, the bomb dogs, the um, porn dogs. You know, porn they, dogs? Well, they can what? smell, yes, so... so porn dogs? So, like they smell porn? <laughs> no, what they smell is, um, they smell two things. They, they can smell um, the flash drive, some of the um, components of a flash drive, and they can also smell certain glues because... A lot of people, when there's a search warrant, that flash drive is glued to the bottom of a drawer or inside a drawer, and that's how they busted the guy from um, wow. Subway. Wow. It oh, was a dog that, wow. smelled, that smelled it. 
So you fantastic. Have, Good job, puppy. So you have dogs that can smell. You know, seizures. you were thinking something else. Smell. Yeah, or, I know. Yeah. I was, yeah, yeah, I was like, no. okay. So, <laughs> yeah, no, you can, dogs will smell a seizure coming on. There are dogs right. that can smell cancer. There are do- I mean, so, you know, it, once you... Once you realize that, so a lot of those places will pick shelter dogs, and sometimes they're picking the dogs, the rescue dogs that are a little more OCD. Because if you told my dog, okay, let's go, we're going to go find, you know, because I took him to one fun nose class, which is like the basic class when you try to teach him how to smell different things just to see. Uh, because I had teenagers, I figured maybe he should be able to smell drugs, you know, right? I mean, <laughs> So we'll see what happens. We'll take the class, it. right? SPCLA <laughs> offers the class. Maybe I'll take the class. <laughs> so, you know, he would be like, oh, there's a bird. Oh, look, there's a friend of mine. Oh, look, somebody's eating something and did not concentrate, you know, so much. So he needs to be OCD, be able to. to right. Oh. So a lot of those dogs, which I love that's that, that I love that because, you know, you have a lot of kids that are on the spectrum or whatever. And you have dogs that are on the spectrum. Wow. wow. And so the purpose, a, a lot of them are not distracted. They're just obsessed with finding it, finding it, finding it, finding it. My dog's it. obsessed with smelling stuff. And we're always saying, find the bomb, find the bomb, when we're taking him on a walk in the streets because yeah. he's so desperate to find that whatever. To find something. Well, for a while until I stopped you know, doing it because I'm lazy and basically want my dog to essentially be a carpet. I don't want <laughs> I don't need a lot to, I don't like to manage a lot. Uh, I would be find the remote. He'd bring me the remote from wherever you know it oh, was. Nice. Oh, that's a good idea. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, I mean, he would find his toys, um, and he, you know, he, he would be pretty good at finding the one smell box that had, you know, the smell of like a controlled substance or something. But once he got, you know, once I, I gave, I let him put the remote in his mouth. The one time, and I'd say find the remote. For a while, he was bringing the remote. People were like, find my keys. You know, oh, find, find my iPhone. Find my iPhone. You know, oh, stuff that's like that. way better than find my but phone. But yeah, so there's. I'm going to try and do that. Now. Well, there sure. are classes where you know they literally they have these different scents, and there's just a process that they go through, and then, you know, the dogs, um, you know, learn to find their scent no matter where it's hidden, where it's buried, but they can't be distracted like my dog. Oh, I see something. There's a car, and he just forgets why he's out there. Um, so that's why you need that kind of a dog. And then the second part is, once they know, once they get to it, how do they explain it? So you don't want a bomb dog to touch it and start barking. And you don't want a drug dog to pick up anything in his mouth. And so the tell can be different for whatever re- thing you're looking for. You know, So it's kind of interesting because that's very important to be able to train the dog to when the dog finds what you've asked the dog to find, that he properly handles it and and tells you what he found without hurting himself. Is that good for a dog to have all these jobs? I think I they mean, enjoy I it. They should Some be of them free. look really uh, happy I sometimes to be look at working. them and I'm like, they don't want to do this. They're like being forced to it do depends. this. It depends. I'll tell you, you know, I have a funny, I mean, it's a kind of a funny story because like some dogs really enjoy doing that and they're, they're self-rewarding activities. So when they find that that's the reward, then they get a reward and they're bonding with their, their person, they're traveling everywhere. So some dogs probably are okay. I had a, a, a dog before the ones I have now that was a cruelty case. And so I, like, I took him. And it turned out that this dog um, 
was really good at therapy visits. Like when he walked with me, you know, he was 90 pounds, he would drag me like feet in the air, not listen to me at all. When he'd walk into a hospital, he was a completely different dog or a classroom for show and tell. And that dog was so interesting because the benefit that that dog got from going to hospitals and the VA center and going to school, he would just sit behind my car when I pulled out in the morning because he was very upset if he didn't get to go. Aww. So I would bring him into the office and then they would take him, you know, wherever. And people would say, how did you train the dog like that? And I'm telling you, how does he know not to knock over an IV pole? How does he know not to jump on a kid at Children's Hospital but to just put his head on the bed? I mean, how yeah. does he know those things? I didn't tell him. Wow. But, but he had just a natural ability to do that. And then I'd walk him out and he would drag me, you know, through the parking lot, you know. He's letting you know that you don't need any therapy. Yeah, and that he's still in charge. <laughs> but see, that dog wanted to go to work. And as he got older, because he lived to be 17, as he got older, and he couldn't go as much because of his arthritis and getting in and out of the, you know, car and stuff like that, um, he was, like, upset because he liked to go. And yeah. he liked to go to those places and see the kids and the... You know, the people in convalescent homes, people in hospitals. So the answer to the question is, I think, my constant theme is best interest of the dog always rules. Exactly. So if your Good. dog is happy going and looks forward to it and acts really happy and seems to feel that that's a good purpose and it's rewarding, then fine. If you have to fight with your dog to go anywhere and do that and he doesn't want to do it, then you know, I mean, I've spoiled my kids. I'll spoil the dog. You just let him stay home. No, exactly. You know? I exactly. mean, do what the dog wants to do. Madeline, I have a question about um, people who leave their dogs in crates when they leave for work. Mm -hmm. How do you feel about that? I've heard a lot of dogs are trained to be in a crate, but it seems to me like you have a big house. You open the damn door and let the dog walk around. Yeah. So it's great. It depends on the dog. People abuse the, can abuse the crate so that it becomes a horrible situation. And then people can use the crate effectively to train. So now my crazy Pomeranian, okay, um, her, so, so I brought her home in a crate and then I put a dog bed in there and some blankets. She goes there when she, when she just wants to go to her room. So she'll go in there, she'll stay in there all night, and the door will be open. So she was really comfortable in the crate, and I was able to potty train her using the crate, um, you know, for Is that out. because she was probably from a breeder and raised no, in a crate? No, I think that dog likes that. Now, my other dog wouldn't, go, the first time, you know, they put him in a crate to wait his turn to go sniff drugs during class he started foaming at the mouth and got hysterical we took him out of the crate oh poor baby so, so and it, we're, we're talking five minutes right mm -hmm. no my dog would die in yeah a crate. he's never been crated um and so he you know has the run of the house but when the pomeranian gets upset she's like i'm going to my room and it's like a pink, you know, I mean, it's yeah. ridiculous. I mean, she goes into her room. It's like genie back in the bottle. <laughs> right, right. And she stays in there. And I she believe won't you. My out. sister has a cat uh, who's actually from a breeder, too. And it has its own little carrying case. And she goes into the carrying case and stays there. Right. And my son will say, let the dog out. I'm like, dude, take a look. The door's open. I didn't put her in. And she doesn't want to come out. So the crate is a tool. 
So if you're potty training. Or a prison. Or a prison. So yeah. again, who are we blaming here? If the person is just lazy and keeps the dog in a crate all day and the dog is pooping and peeing in the crate and screaming and spilling their food and water in the crate and they're not out and they're not being socialized, then that, there's a penal code that uh, deals with, with that behavior. On the other hand, if you're managing the crate in such a way as to then get a more socialized, well-behaved dog, you know, who, who is, you know, responding, you know, to potty training or whatever, and then you'd end the crate. So once she was potty trained, you know, I said, we don't need the crate anymore. And she was like, I'm going in there. I like that, but the door's wide open. I she like that the door's wide up. open. Now, I was doing dog walking for a service through a company, and it would break my heart to go into these apartments, and a dog would be locked in a crate with no blanket, no food, yes. no water, and then I'd have to walk the dog and then shove it back into and the crate. And then shove it back in the crate. See, it any, tool, my heart. any tool can be abusive. Look, you can take a baseball bat and play baseball or you can beat someone to death with it, right? right? I mean, so you can take a crate and have it work so that the dog is happy and you're happy and you're communicating and you're socializing with the dog. You're not leaving the dog, you know, um, alone like that all day. Mm -hmm. um, or you can, you know, beat someone to death with the crate, basically. So therefore, the people that are putting the dog in a crate and leaving for work eight to ten hours a day, this is abuse. It might be, depending on the condition that the dog is in and how the dog is responding. Now, I would say it is. I, it seems to me a lot I mean, of people are just not I mean, I, aware. I wouldn't. I wouldn't do it. You know. Um, but but you know. But if for some reason the dog is sleeping all day. And then they're being, you know, socialized and loved and played with and taken out and, you know, to the park at the end of the day and, and that's fine and the dog is fine and they're fine and everyone's happy, then but that's eight not to abusive. Ten hours? But yeah, that, yeah. I mean, you're usually like at work for eight hours. You yeah. got your driving and you got your lunch. Yeah. You're looking at 10, 11 hours. Yeah. I mean, I look I, at myself and I'm like, I wouldn't want to be in right. a crate it, it that broke long. my heart yeah. i couldn't keep continuing the dog walking service because right. it was just i i wanted to let every dog free right but again so, you know there's always an outlier on either end for the most part just stuffing your dog in a crate all day is usually indicative that, that that you're not doing something else like why does the dog need to be in the crate all day what are you not training the dog to do or what are you not spending money on a dog walker or doggy daycare. I mean, like, what's the problem? Why are you confining the dog? Some people will just, like, confine them to the kitchen, but at least they can walk around. There's food and water. Right, right. I've yeah. seen that, and I, I'm okay with that more than I'm okay yeah. with stuck yeah. in the crate. And, oh. Yeah, but again, so that people just don't go completely crazy, crate training it can be a tool. It can be very effective, used properly. Um, and properly means the dog isn't in the crate a lot. Mm -hmm. So and temporary. I mean, um, once yeah. they're trained, that's it. Well, yeah, because right? then you don't, you know, you don't need it. I mean, it is always a good idea sometimes to, if you have to evacuate during a disaster, and you have to crate your dog to move fast or sit in the car or whatever. You know, it's like horses. You don't train your dog to get on a trailer in the middle of a fire. Right. You right. want the dog to be able to. I mean, the horse to be able to evacuate. Yeah. Um, yeah, I do have nightmares of something happening to the family and the dog being put in the pound and being put in a small crate, and he would just go psycho, and then nobody would want to adopt him because well, that's right. he's not a crate-trained kind of guy. Well, that's right. And, and, and even if you had a dog that, um, like even if you took my dog, who 
goes to her crate. She's not in it all day. I mean, she roams around the house. But when she's pissed about something, you know, or, or thinks I, you know, somebody's coming to take her to the vet, the first place she goes to retreat is the crate. Or she likes to sleep in the crate. Mm -hmm. She'll go in every night. She goes in at 8 o'clock. I don't understand why. <laughs> uh, I didn't do She's it. She's done. Yeah. 8 o'clock, she goes into the princess crate, right? And she just goes to sleep. The door's open. She can leave anytime she what wants. What time does she get up? So usually, so I'm lucky because I'm not a morning person. So they pretty much get up when I get up. Oh, so, mine gets me up. Yeah, he so tells it, me, we're getting up, we're going to go pee. Yeah. And I'm like, dude, it's 5.30 and it's 42 degrees. Yeah, I mean, like, now well, we're it's, doing a, it. it's harder because my one is a geriatric. So sometimes, you know, the old the old man dogs have to pee in the middle of the night. Uh -huh. Yeah. <laughs> so, you know, but so that, so, so that for her, that's, you know, going in there, it's her own private space. She doesn't compete with the cats. She doesn't share her toys. Sometimes she'll hide all the toys in the crate. <laughs> You know, and when I say crate, I don't mean like a box. I mean, it's, it's, you can see on all sides, and I just put a blanket on top. So if she wants to sleep, she can sleep, but she can come out. Very often I'll find her, you know, if she wants to go get water in the middle of the night, she'll get out, she'll go to the kitchen, and she'll go back into her crate. It's bizarre. I mean, that's lovely. You know, that's nice. I've never, I've never had never experienced that before with a dog. But see, there's a, a crate that's positive. Right, right, right. No, I've seen yeah. uh, people also with crates and the pillow and the blanket and the dog just like, I'm going to go in there yeah. so you guys can stop touching right. me. <laughs> yeah. And they have things now, you know, like porch potties. And so for people who just are afraid there'll be an accident in the house who are at work, um, there are things now that where if you can't let your dog out or you don't hire a dog walker, there are things that you can get where you train the dog. And I'd never seen those before, but we also have a, 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 a salon and hotel for dogs. And there are people sometimes when they go on vacation, um, my people told me that they bring the porch potty with them because they don't want the training to go down the tubes when, oh, when right. at the hotel. So the dog continues to go. <laughs> on the porch potty. Yeah, so my sister dog, her, her dog only goes on cement, and my dog will only go on grass or fake grass, right. so that always ends up being a problem because her house is all cement. Right. And so my dog's like, nope, can't go. Yeah, I can't go, right. you know. Right, I, and then her dog can't go at my house because it's all grass and then some fake grass. Right. But you <laughs> see, what we're talking about is taking the time to get to know your dog and and having that bond and doing what's in the best interest of the dog and that's why i say you know where where are you coming from when you make a decision and why are people judging other people like yeah i was on another thing where the question was you know if you have an old dog you know and they're starting to deteriorate pretty rapidly when you know when do you call it and why do you have the ideologues out there screaming you can never call it that's a hard one yeah. I, it's a my hard cat one. was 19 and i i felt like god because i went to the vet right. and i'm like i think it's time and they're like yes it's time but right i was hysterical I, yeah i felt right. horrendous yeah. being the one saying okay the one day. yeah but you know again right um if you know your dog you know or cat um why would you let them bottom out and lose all their dignity and they're not happy when they're uncomfortable and suffering and, you know, not able to communicate. So choosing the time is, is difficult and it's an individual decision. But again, if you're doing it for the best interest of the dog and not for some ideology, like if you're letting your dog suffer because you believe in that ideology, 
that can be abusive. That mm -hmm. can be animal cruelty. Mm -hmm. I've seen that On the too. other hand, if you're doing it for no reason, like I have to move and no one will love the dog as much as I am, I'd like you to euthanize my dog, oh. right? That's <laughs> not in the best interest of the dog either. That's a narcissistic maniac. Mm -hmm. um, so these hard decisions can actually be made a lot easier if you are doing it for the for the best interest of the dog. And in order to be able to make that decision intelligently, you have to bond with the dog. And if you're crating your dog all day long and not interacting, or leaving your dog tied up in the backyard and not interacting, you're in no position to decide when the time is right. Exactly. Can you actually go to a vet and say, uh, it's time to put my dog down and your yes. dog can be 100% healthy and happy and they- You, you, you can't, I mean, we won't do that like, um, it, it, at SPCALA, if someone came in and did that, we say, we're not taking the dog for that purpose. If you want to surrender the dog to us, um, we will decide what happens. And if you're unhappy with that, then you can go to the vet and pay the vet to do it. Now, at that point, it's up to the vet. Wow. You know, I can't speak for what a vet does and doesn't do when someone comes in. But if someone just comes in and says, I'm relocating across the country and no one, and because I'm, when I say these examples, I'm talking real people. No one will love the dog as much as I do. Um, or they have two dogs and one dog, you know, died from cancer, so they want to put the other dog down to join the dog. Oh, my you know? goodness. I mean, that's a, I don't, I can't tell you what different vets do in that situation. I can tell but you that, that is we legal. don't do it. I'm sure it's legal because wow. an animal is property. That, that just reminds me of putting Lily down. Mm -hmm. I had to put the second cat down, but she was only nine. Mm -hmm. And it was because she was really sick. Something yeah. killed the both of them. I mean, I was expecting Q-tip to live 30 years. I mean, I know the <laughs> oldest cat. That's a little cat. long. No, the oldest cat is 38. Is that if I'm true? not mistaken, yeah. What? Yeah, yeah well, my, my assistant has one in her mid-20s, cat in mid-20s. Yeah, no, no they can live. Way. And Q-tip was kick-ass. By I mean, the way, Pomeranians so can live a long time, too. Nice. Same with chihuahuas. Yeah, that's, same with chihuahuas. Little yeah. dogs. I wanted my dog to live because my dad actually buys, uh, doesn't buy, he adopts, um, what are those huge dogs? Great Danes. Great Danes, mm -hmm. because he's older, he's 83, right. and so they realize, him and his girlfriend, that they don't have a lot of time to right. keep having dogs, so they just adopt older, Right. Uh, what are they called again? Great Danes. Great Danes. So you need to ask your nun friend um, why it is that you know we have a world where dogs only live such a short time and people live such a long time. Like I always think it's so unfair, you mm -hmm. know? how we bond with these dogs and you know you just know you're going to outlive your your dog over and over again that's why we need to yeah, get that, parrots it's so. heartbreaking yeah parrots koi <laughs> oh koi lasts a long time oh god too. you know you have to leave my tortoises i have to leave them in you know in I your have to, will yeah yeah, yeah my neighbors had really old yeah, tortoises yeah. uh let me ask you another question um do you know anything about food I, okay, f food for dogs. Uh, is there anything that you recommend? Because I hear all this, you know, go out and buy a steak, cut it up, and give it to them raw. Is that a good idea? <laughs> well, I mean, if my you husband, have a wolf dog, that's a good idea. My husband does that. He, he puts raw steak on the floor for the dog, yeah. and I'm like, I don't know if you should do that. Yeah, so there's a trend towards raw food yeah. um, that's um, in there because we see that through our marketplace. But Again, um, you know, my dogs are on joint, prescription joint food. Um, you want to get good food. You know, you want to check the ingredients and make sure that whatever it is that you're interested in 
is the main ingredient and there's not a lot of like remember when all those foods were recalled from china do you know what the ingredient was that was in the food killing the dogs probably arsenic right melamine which is particle board and it poses like a protein and adds weight so you want to check the ingredients and then again what's going on with your dog you know the age matters the activity level matters there's going to be genetic things that, you know, is your dog prone to this or that? Do you want fatty foods? Do you want unfatty foods? There are some vets who talk about grain-free. Other vets say that's hocus-pocus. Um, mm. So, again, you know, the way you talk to your pediatrician about proper nutrition, you should talk to your veterinarian and get the best food for that dog. Mm. So I can't sit here and say, you know, yes, raw, raw food is good for all dogs. Um, but I can say, take, find out what the best food is for your dog, right? And mm-hmm. feed them that. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, when we all hear stories like, you know, what, you know, how much we all spend on bags of dog food and cat food for, for our pets. Yes, I do. And, and I, I still hear my mother saying, I don't know. You know, we got Alpo. We got, you know, <laughs> we just get at table scraps. The dog lived to be 17. I don't know what you're talking about. <laughs> yeah, we actually know? grew up feeding our cats and dogs just table scraps. Yeah. We never bought food. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and we had a ton of animals. Yeah, but my dog, you know, the, the older one, he always, since, you know, since he was young, always, always had a sensitive stomach. So the joint medicine, you know, the joint medicine dog food, prescription dog food, is for his arthritis, but mm-hmm. for his sensitive stomach, sometimes, you know, we'll serve him, you know, pumpkin on a saltine, or oh, we we'll do cook him rice, yeah, yeah, rice with broth. So it's a combination because, you know, like with kids, you, the dog sometimes needs the brat diet. My stomach has been crying. <laughs> You're hungry. You're doing you way hear? too much drinking and not enough eating. This whole entire time, my stomach's going, going, <laughs> I know. Well, so you understand what happened in class that Oh, time. my goodness. I felt like someone's going to turn around and smack me. <laughs> Madeline, you have had so much good information. I'm so excited. I, I love my dog even more now. Me too. I will be putting my children and, up for and adoption. You be nice. <laughs> and you be nice to yours. Whether they told you the truth or not, I couldn't say. Oh, I will be very nice to my dogs. But yeah. But be aware that you may start to see something yes. that presents later on. I did a lot of research. These people seem to be really legit. Yeah. So I'm, I'm crossing my fingers, but you never know. Well, you never know. Well, first of all, there's no perfect record for anybody, right? No, exactly. I mean, people aren't born healthy either. Wait, wait yeah. a second. My dog is perfect. Uh, yes, I know. And, and as, a, as mine are, too. But, I mean, you know, you could have the best pregnancy, eat all the right things. You could have, you know. So, so there's no 100% guarantee that, you know, doing all the right things can get you the best and healthiest dog. But there is a real 100% chance that doing all the wrong things will get you a horrible dog. Yeah, you know, absolutely. In terms of horrible being sick yeah. or with congenital feelings or you know, um, congenital um, injuries or things like that. Yeah. Would it be a good recommendation if you get a dog from a breeder to immediately go to a vet and have it checked out? I have an appointment the next day. But the, vet, the vet can't... Um, the vet can take. <laughs> I, I actually heard that one. <laughs> the vet won't find everything. The vet can't find everything, and it can't find any behavioral issues. You could get a blood panel and some basic stuff, 
but like sometimes things, you know, things like a luxating patella, which is common in, which is a trick knee. The first time I'd never seen that before. So oh, the my Pomeranian, yeah, my dog the, has the that. knee's going the wrong way. So yeah. I, I start screaming, grab her, run into the vet's office, put her down. And she was a street dog. And while we're standing and talking about it, she just and puts it right back into place herself. Right. I mean, she That's has my skills, dog that dog. Yeah. Or the trachea issues she's got. She's got, you know, mm. pretty much. What's the, a trachea issue? So you'll start to, it, 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 it's like a collapsed trachea, and then there's a technical word for it where there's issues um, with the trachea. And so what you'll see is sometimes you'll Yorkies see a little dog that. that's coughing, coughing, yeah. coughing. It's like reverse sneeze. It's yeah. not a cough cough. Yeah. It's a weird cough. It's a trachea. And, and she, her name was Cherry. She died of it. <gasps> yeah. yeah. My dog coughs when he eats. Yeah. Is, is that yeah. it? So, well, not necessarily. Not he necessarily. might just be chewing, you know, not, not, not chewing correctly, but, you know. He inhales. The, 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 you know, the flat face dogs have, you know, a lot not of a issues. Flat face. But, but the trachea thing, and so you just want to make sure that you use a harness. You yeah, know, and you don't I put see pressure. people with the, the yeah. leash, and I'm like, dude, they yeah. have harnesses now. Yeah, or I keep, you know, her collar on, but really loose, and, and you know, because they're not allowed out unsupervised. So loose, so she has her, her tags because she doesn't like to wear, you know. And so, but it doesn't, you know, constrict her throat. But, you know, so so periodically she'll, she'll go into one of those coughing, reverse breathing weird snorts that look like exhales i'm not exactly sure i, I know exactly and what it's you're all about, that yeah. and so there's just a list of things that your vet won't may not see no i've 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 had at one point i had seven animals mm-hmm. so yeah <laughs> tell you killed it no no they lived all long lives a lot of them were purebreds because it was my ex liked yeah. uh we had like two boxers uh yeah a St. Bernard oh, and a Newfie and a Yorkie and a Maltese and two cats. Right. My two cats the that two were here. Cats. Yeah. Yeah. So. Yeah. So you're, uh, you're on to it. You'll oh, see yeah, something. Oh, yeah. Yeah. No, absolutely. Right. One of the Newfies collapsed and he was like 150 pounds and he collapsed on his own feces and we had to call a rescue because I couldn't pick, pick him yeah. up and it was horrible. Um, but the legs just, he was yeah. paralyzed. But um, but anyway, um, I gotta go because okay. I gotta go uh, see what my daughter's doing. She's a teenager, <laughs> and uh, thank you for meeting us thank at the Madeline. bar and having a drink thank with us and letting our <laughs> listeners know. So anybody wants to check out her book, Madeline Bernstein, and it's called Designer Dogs: An Expose. And it looks like a very good book. I'm going to have to read that. Thank you so much for coming. Thanks you had for so much me. good information. Anytime. Yes, you were good incredible. Luck, good luck with your almost perfect chihuahua and your new dog. <laughs> <laughs> Kiko and Django. That's going to be the names. Kiko and Django. Mine are Achilles and Winter. Oh, nice. Aww. Nice. Mine's Weiwei. Weiwei? Yeah, Weiwei and Shitty the Cat. <laughs> <laughs> and so everybody, don't go to a pound. It's called The Shelter. And look for your animal there. And donate locally. Yes. Every SPCA is separate. Did not know that. Good to know. Beef up your community. Woohoo. Nice meeting a fellow New Yorker. Absolutely. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Okay. Thank you very much. Thanks. Thank you. Thank you.
Join us every week for our entertaining and informational time. And if you want to suggest a topic for our show or just want to know more about us, go to our website, www.anamericanconversationpodcast.com and comment away. We will try to respond as soon as possible. And don't forget to follow us on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram and subscribe to our podcast. Thank you.